Wonderful. Thank you for that wonderful time of praise. Today we celebrate the great Christmas King. This is our third week in Advent, and each week we have been lighting a candle. The light points us to Jesus, who is the light of the world, and the first light is meant to remind us that Jesus is God with us. The second light is meant to remind us that he was born of a virgin, pointing us to him, that he is the coming Messiah. And the third light here that we light this morning is to remind us that Jesus is the king that has come into the world. He is the great Christmas king. You'll need to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapters 8 and 9, and we're going to look at some verses in uh, this passage, particularly verses 6 and 7, that prophesy of us this child that is to be born. Um, In Isaiah chapters 8 and 9, really you have this scathing judgment against the nation of Israel for their sin. In the minds of the people and in the hearts of the people, they should be worshiping him, but they are being led astray by all of these uh, false idols and things that are going on with the surrounding Canaanite uh, people in the nation, and they're following the Canaanites and the Israelites are following these false gods. But instead, they should have been making God holy and fearing his name. That's what they should have been doing. And they should have been turning to him in order to find out about life. Now, what I mean by that is, throughout the prophecies, God is often saying, look, why are you turning to these gods, these false gods, these false idols, who are not alive, they don't breathe, they can't hear you, they can't see anything, they can't do anything for you. Why are you turning to these dead idols when I am here, the living God? Now, there's an interesting passage in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19, and it is not about these false idols, but it is about the practice of mediums and witches and wizards. And it says this amazing thing. It says, when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards, who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? What an amazing passage. And here's what the people are doing. This is what, these, uh, this is what witches and wizards and mediums are all about. It's about raising up the spirits of people that have gone by. And God says, look, why are you asking about your life, the living, among the dead? When you should be asking about the living from the one who is alive, the living God. So this is kind of his uh, judgment against them. Why are you turning to mediums and uh, wizards when you can come to me? I am the living God. I know about you. I know about your life. Turn to me, not to these false practices that are going on here. And so uh, there is this judgment that God uh, declares against the people. And in the midst of sharing these judgments. It's amazing how many verses in chapters 8 and 9 of Isaiah are prophecies of Jesus Christ. So for example, you have chapter 8 verse 14, which talks about the stone or the rock of stumbling, which Peter quotes in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 8. And I have that verse up here for you. He's quoting from here and Isaiah says, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word which they also were appointed. And this is talking about Jesus. He is the stone of stumbling. And basically those who don't turn to God, don't turn to Jesus, stumble over him, the stone, the rock, because they are disobedient to the word. So this is going to come up in a moment 
as we go through this passage. There's another prophecy of Jesus in chapter 9, verse 2, where he talks about, uh, in chapter 9, verse 1, where he talks about Zebulun and Naphtali. And this is quoted in Matthew chapter 4, verses 14 through 17. And it says this in Matthew, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. Who is that great light? Jesus is the great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's the good news. So he takes this Isaiah prophecy and, he, and it is brought into the life of Jesus. Jesus is the one who has the message of repentance. He has the message of light and he has the message of life for us. And so we should always turn to Jesus. Now, as we look at chapter 9, verse 6, and this is the heart of the message this morning, it says this, and this is a prophecy concerning Christ. And it is linked to the prophecies we were looking in chapter 7, the last two Sundays. It says this in chapter 9, verse 6 of Isaiah. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Uh, Verse 7 says, And of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts has performed this. So this connects us back to Isaiah chapter 7 in which this special baby would be born. His name would be Emmanuel, God with us. And this child, it says in verse 6, he will come and bear the government upon his shoulders. And we'll come back to that in a moment. But how can this be? How can it be that a child will bear the government upon his shoulder? You wouldn't expect a child to, to do this. Maybe some great warrior, or some great leader, but not a child. That just sounds ridiculous. But this is what God is doing. It is not the Father who comes and manifests Himself to this earth. It is the Son who comes. His Son that comes to us. Here are some verses that we are familiar with, the first one anyways, that conveys this idea that the Father sends the Son to come into the world to do these great things on our behalf. John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world, right, that He gave... His only begotten Son. Right? There it is. The Father gave His Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, it says the same thing. This is 1 John 4, 9. It says, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Now, here is, here's a truth about life. When uh, you dislike the head honcho, then you look with contempt on all of those that are under him or that represent him. When you despise the head honcho, then you look on with contempt to all of his underlings, even his family members. And so this is just the nature of sin, but this is how God has 
decided to do it, how he has designed it. He has designed to send his son to this earth, the son, the boy that was born in the manger. Now, here is something I never saw before. And while you keep your finger in Isaiah chapter 9, I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 21. And I'm going to read the passage in Matthew. And this, is, this was just fascinating. I read this, I, I've read this, you know, all my Christian life. And then in the context of Isaiah, studying Isaiah, just something just jumped out of me here of this idea of the sun and whatever. But uh, let's look at this. This this shows the idea of how the sinful man does not appreciate or respect the son that is sent. So this is Matthew chapter 21. I'm going to start in verse 33. Jesus is talking. He says, Hear another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. You see how they're despising the, the servants of the landowner. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son... They said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? They said to him, he will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the first fruit, the firsts, the, the fruits in their seasons. Now, notice what Jesus does. He, he has just shared a parable about the sun coming. And if we remember back to Isaiah chapter 9 and chapter 7, it is unto us a child will be born. The, the, the child will bear the government on his shoulders. So that we see that. And then he says this. He quotes from Isaiah. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. We have that, That's the same quote about the stone, you know, the stumbling stone in Isaiah. So it's, it's almost as if when Jesus is giving this passage here in this parable, he is thinking of the prophecies in Isaiah, the coming child, the stone which, the, the, which was rejected, which becomes the, corner, the cornerstone. So that was, just, that was just amazing to me, and I'm obviously not conveying it well to you because you're just not like, whoa, that's so amazing, pastor, you know, that's so great, and, but that's okay. Um, so anyways, it's a child. It is a child who comes and who, who bears the government upon his shoulders. And that's the next part I want to, to think on here. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, Unto us a child is born, unto us is a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. Now, it's, it's a, it was kind of surprising to me as, as I was preparing for this that uh, how little I found... On, what, on this phrase here in the commentaries, how little people really talked about what it meant that the government would be upon his shoulders and what that means. Now, we're in the context of nations making unholy alliances. And if you remember from the last two times, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel, the king of the northern king of, kingdom of Israel is conspiring with Syria and they're coming to fight against uh, the southern kingdom of Judah. And, you know, you have all of these... Uh, 
uh, intrigues going on and Assyria is percolating in the background and they're going to come in a number of years and just kind of wipe out all the northern part there. So all of this is going on, these nations coming against God's people and forming alliances. And, and this is nothing new in the history of the world. I mean, even to this day, it continues on in the world. But we find this idea of the government being upon the shoulders. And, and it's really not a new idea. For example, you have this depiction on the left here. Now, this is, this is um, Atlas. He is a god of the Roman mythology um, or the Greek mythology. I forget who named him Atlas. But anyway, this drawing on the left is a famous drawing by a man, an Italian named Peruzzi in the 16th century. And so here's Atlas bearing the weight of the world upon his shoulders. And the, the, the one on the right is actually a, a, what is it, a bronze statue in front of the Rockefeller Center in New York City. And that's there today. And so this, is, again, is another depiction depiction of Atlas bearing the weight of the world upon his shoulders. And what that is meant to convey, it is meant to convey us a, 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 the responsibility of the position that you hold in the case of Jesus here. And so this son that is born, he is going to come to power as a king, and he is going to bear on his shoulders the weight and the responsibility of what being a king means. And so, in Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22, it says this, the key, this is another prophecy of Jesus, the key of the house of David I will lay upon his shoulder so that he shall open and no one will shut, and he shall shut and no one shall open. Now, doesn't that sound kind of familiar for those of you who know the New Testament? Well, here it is in Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22. But the important point is, he takes the key, which has the ability to open and to shut, and it is put upon his shoulder, indicating that the one, upon, the one who bears it has the duty and the responsibility to fulfill its meaning. And so the true king is coming, Jesus. He is a child, but nevertheless... He will sit upon the throne of David. And if we look in verses 6 and 7, these are the things that he is going to do as the ruler um, that, has, that sits upon the throne. He will bring peace. There will be no end to it. He will bring order, and he will uphold it. He will establish it. He will bring judgment. There will be justice and righteousness. It will be forever, and he will be zealous in his rule. All of that sits upon his shoulder, meaning he bears the responsibility and the duty to accomplish that in the course of this life. He is the one who brings peace and order and judgment, justice and righteousness. And so this is Jesus, that king. And we see that not only in these prophecies that look forward, but even in the birth accounts of Christ here are some verses that talk about Jesus being that king. Matthew chapter 2, verse 2 says, this is the wise men. They're talking to Herod and they say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Do you see it there? I mean, we know the story, right? The wise men come and they're looking for the king. For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Herod, when he hears of the wise men looking for this baby, he asks about where the baby should be born. 
and his ungodly counselors come up with the right answer. Matthew chapter 2, verse 6 says, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So again, you have this prophecy or this declaration of Jesus being the ruler. And then, of course, Gabriel, when he appears to Mary and he pronounces the coming Jesus, he says in Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33, he says this, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, just like it said in Isaiah. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So again, these are passages in the birth narrative of Christ that declare that he is the king. And that's nothing new. We already know that from the past, you know, our our past reading and study, we know that it is the king who is to be born. So what does that mean for us as we consider the great coming king? And, I, and it's hard to see here for some reason. This is, this is a, for you chess enthusiasts, this is a pawn sitting on a table and the shadow of the light against the pawn casts a king upon the wall. And I saw that and I thought, whoa, this is amazing. I, I don't know who came up with this, but I doubt they were Christian or maybe they were they must have been, but you have the child, the pawn, who is the king. And I, I just said, i got to use this picture for my slides. And uh, there it is. So you guys uh, get to see that this morning. But it brings us to our first point. When we consider the great Christmas king. First of all, do not reject the son. Do not reject the son. Now, again, this is simple enough. But when we consider what is happening here, God, in declaring a sign to point to the Messiah, he chooses to do it through a child. And when we think about children, we think things like, well, you know, they don't know too much, and they're not too strong, and, you know, they need help with everything, and so on and so forth. You know, that's how us older people will view the younger people. And, you know, there's some merit to that, right? I mean, our kids don't know as much as we do, and they don't have as much experience as we do, and, and I, I speak my, of myself as a uh, 30-something-year-old person that uh, when I become 50 and look back at my 30-year-old's uh, self, that I'll see the same thing. You know, man, I was dumb back then. I, I'm just kidding. I'm not in my 30s. I'm a little past that, but the same thing applies. You know, 10 years from now, I'm going to look on my current self and think, man, what a dummy. Didn't I have more sense than I, than I, uh, than I have now? I mean, come on, or, you know, whatever. It's just like, but when it comes to God the Messiah coming to this earth, we have to be careful to see what God is doing and not look on the outward appearance. Do not reject the Son because He is a child. And do not reject the son because he is not the quote-unquote father coming. I mean, of course, Jesus is God, but in the Trinity, we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and it is the Son who has come to this earth, and we must not despise him for that. Matthew chapter 21, verse 44, quoting from Isaiah again, says, Whoever falls on this stone shall be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. 
And so what we see in that passage is really an encouragement to believe. If I believe in Jesus, there is going to be some brokenness in me. Why? Because I am going to see my sins, and that's going to hurt. I'm going to see my failures, and that's going to hurt. I'm going to see my shortcomings, and that is going to hurt. I'm going to see my weakness and my, my uh, lack of wisdom. I'm going to see all of my deficiencies, and that hurts. I am going to be broken by Jesus. But that's the point, isn't it? To recognize that I am a sinner and that Jesus is my Savior. And so I recognize my sins and I recognize my shortcomings and it should compel me to fall on my knees before him and say, I am sorry, please forgive me by the blood of your son that was shed. I am broken, I come to you. But for those who will not allow themselves to be broken, the stone will fall and crush him to powder and that is a symbol of judgment. If you will not humble yourself and be broken before the Lord, then you will be judged for those sins that you have no forgiveness for, and you will be ground to powder. And of course, anybody reading these prophecies should immediately turn to God and recognize Him as the source of their salvation. And yet people, for some reason, are so hard-hearted, and we refuse to humble ourselves before Him. And so we are encouraged in Scripture to believe on the, on the Son, Jesus, who has come. The only begotten Son who has come from the Father. We are encouraged to believe. Listen to these verses. This is just from the first three chapters of the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John uses the word believe 100, almost 100 times. So this is just a smattering of what John is trying to convey. And you'll, again, recognize some of these, but listen to this encouragement that comes to us. This man, Jesus, came for a witness, no, John, came for a witness to bear witness to the light, Jesus, that all through him might believe. That is the desire there. John 1, 12 through 13, but as many as received him, Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Notice the idea of children coming in again to those who believe in his name, who were born, there again, you know, born like a child, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So believe on him. You'll become a son of God. John chapter 3, verse 15, that whoever believes in him, Jesus, should not perish, but have everlasting, have eternal life. Doesn't that sound like John 3, 16? Well, it's John 3, 15. Here's John 3, 16. For God still loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There it is again in the very next verse. John 3, 18. That's two verses later. He who believes in him is not condemned. John 3, 36. He who believes in the son has everlasting life. Now, I don't know, there's like five or six verses just from John chapter 1 through 3. And like I said, there's over eight, almost, almost 100 uses of believing in uh, Jesus throughout the Gospel of John. And so, let us not reject the Son. This is the one who has come into the world. He is God with us. He was born of a virgin, and he will sit on the throne as king, and he will rule and reign forever. Let us confess our sins, lest we be uh, pulverized by him in judgment. Instead, let us come to him and ask for forgiveness. He will forgive us every single time. 
That is the grace of God. He has died for our sins. And that brings us to our second point this morning. Trust God's ways. Trust God's ways. Now, this verse about the stone which the builders rejected, I'm reading from Matthew chapter 21, verses, verse 42, and it says this. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures? So he's referring back to Isaiah here. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. All right, you got that? That's, we've already covered that. But notice what he says next. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Marvelous. So for us who receive the work of Christ, who receive the birth of this child, for those of us who see this, we should be left amazed, speechless, at the, the, the great thing that God has done. And it is true, isn't it? A child will bear the government on his shoulder? A child, God with us? That is ridiculous from the human perspective. But it is God's way, and it ends up being completely amazing. And so we look, and we are amazed at what he has done. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded. Be utterly astounded. Psalm 118, verses 22 through 24. This is where Jesus is quoting the passage we just read in Matthew chapter 21. He's quoting from Psalm 118. The stone which the builder rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the, now here's the part we know. This is the part we turn to oftentimes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And we often turn to that voice, that verse, this is the day the Lord has made. When we wake up in the morning, we look at this beautiful day, and it's a beautiful day, right? And it's not beautiful just because it's sunny outside. It could be beautiful if it's raining, or it could be beautiful if it's snowing, or it could be beautiful if it's icing outside. It is beautiful because the Lord has done it. That's usually how we look at it, and I think that that's okay. But in this context... This is the day the Lord has made. It is talking about this stone that has been rejected, that has become the chief cornerstone. This is what He has done. It is marvelous. He has done it this day. We rejoice and be glad in this salvation that has come to us. Praise be to God. Acts chapter 13, verse 31. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish. Now here's a word that we can share with the unbelievers out there. You despisers, not you guys, but them out there. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe. The one were to declare it to you. And that's exactly what happens. We take it and we declare it to the world. Let them be amazed as they perish. Now that's kind of a sad, that's a judgment verse. But they don't have to do the perishing part. You know what I mean? They can do the rejoicing part by receiving the word that is proclaimed. Psalm 9, 1, 9 verse 1 says, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. There it is. Tell of all his marvelous works. What has the Lord done in your life today? 
Whatever it is, the forgiveness of your sins is a marvelous thing. And we should declare it. Romans 11 verse 33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. I don't know what it is that you're going through and sometimes it seems really hard and you don't understand and you wonder where God is and what, is, what, what He is doing. But let me assure you this morning that what He is doing is marvelous. It is amazing. And just because we cannot comprehend it doesn't mean that it is a great thing, a great plan. And so let us look to Him. This stone, you know, the stone... Uh, this rejected stone in building. So, you know, you're doing all this construction and you're breaking up some of the stones and, and you take the little stones and, you know, they're worthless now and you take them and you cast them outside of the city. This is what's going on. But uh, unbeknown to the ones who are building, there's this one stone that looks to them like it's rubbish for the, for the pile. And so they pick it up and they cast it out. But we don't want to cast out that one stone because that one stone that is cast out is the cornerstone and it grows into a huge mountain and it stands higher than everything else that is around it. The rejected thing becomes the main thing. And we have to be careful as we're serving and and walking after God that we don't take the little things that seem ugly and worthless to us, that we don't inadvertently throw out something that God has intended to become a great thing in our lives. This is amazing what he does. We have to look to him. We have to trust in him. He is the rock upon which we stand. He is the foundation for our lives. And what he is doing as he is working all things for good, amen? What he is doing as he works all things for good is amazing, and he is doing it. And one day in heaven, I believe that we will review all of the things that the Lord has done in our lives, and we will be speechless. The things that we did not understand, the things that we would have chosen otherwise for, the things that were just completely beyond our ability to grasp, we will behold how God just kind of wove it all together to make us who we are and to bring us to salvation and to bring us into his presence and we will be amazed we sing about it now in that great song amazing grace amazing grace and it is right for us to rejoice in the things that we can see like the forgiveness of our sins and the things that we see when God is working in our lives when he answers prayer how many of you have ever had an answered prayer anybody look at that All of you guys have had answered prayers? How many of you have had answered prayers in the month of November and December? Just this side of the church, right? No, I'm just kidding. Um, God should answer our prayers. God does answer our prayers regularly. He is regularly doing things. And every time he does these things, we see him at work. And we are comforted and encouraged that he is at work in our lives. And that he is accomplishing his purposes through us. And we should be encouraged by that. And so as we consider the examples in Scripture, there are some here. For example, there's a blind and a mute man, and he is demon-possessed, and Jesus heals him. And it says the multitudes were amazed. Uh, Here's a broken man. And for all intents and purposes, he is a reject of society. But Jesus comes to him, and Jesus touches him. And now something great has happened. And the multitudes were amazed. 
On another occasion, Jesus cast out a demon, and the people were amazed. The paralytic, remember he was uh, lowered down through the roof? The paralytic was healed, and the people were amazed and glorified God. On another occasion, Jesus raised a dead girl, and it says the people were overcome with great amazement. He calmed the storm, and the disciples were greatly amazed beyond measure and marveled. And that's the heart of it. We don't know always what God is doing in the ins and the outs of our lives, but He has called us to endure to uh, be patient, to uh, exhibit long-suffering through the difficult times because He is at work and in the end we will be amazed at the great things that He has done. So trust Him this morning. Trust in His ways. He is able to turn our darkness into light and let Him do it. And when He does, we will be amazed. And that brings us to our third point this morning. Let him carry your burdens. Now, it says that he shall carry the government upon his shoulders, which means that all of the duties and the responsibilities of the government rest with him, and he will go forward in order to bring all the right things about in his rule and in his reign. But you know that his rule and his reign encompasses us right now in the church, It impacts us right now, today, because this child has been born and he is already beginning to carry the weight of the government upon his shoulders. And what that means is that part of carrying the weight as our king upon his shoulders means that he is carrying our burdens upon his shoulders for us as well. So some of us are carrying the burden of lost loved ones. Let Jesus carry your burden. Some of us are carrying the burden of chronic health issues. Let Jesus carry your burden. Some of us are carrying the burden of regrets and mistakes and failures. Let Jesus carry your burdens. Some of you are carrying the burdens of guilt and sin. Let Jesus carry your burden this morning. Whatever burden you have that weighs heavy upon your heart, turn it over to Jesus. He has come to bear the weight of it on his shoulders. He has died and he has shed his blood and he has taken care of the biggest weight, the weight of our sin. Let Jesus carry your burden. Ask him for forgiveness. Let him bring life to your heart this morning. I'll close with this verse from Matthew chapter 11. Verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, and this is an invitation that he issues to us. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isn't that a great verse? That's right. He is our king. We celebrate him. He carries our burdens. Let us turn it over to the Lord. Whatever it is, he will give us rest. Praise be to the Lord.